Uh, my guest is queued up and ready to go, and this is the first time he's been on the show. I am excited to get this brother on the show because when I saw the topic, I said, ooh, we, this should get the phones ringing because we do have listeners from Texas that listen in, and I hit all the ones that I know in social media to let them know to alert them uh, about um, this gentleman coming on to the show. He's going to be talking about um, his new book called Texit. If that sounds remotely similar to Brexit, like with Great Britain, mm-hmm, there's a reason for that. Let me tell you a little bit about this gentleman. Daniel Miller is the president of the Texas Nationalist Movement and has been an outspoken advocate for Texas independence since 1996 as the head of one of the largest and most influential political organizations in Texas. Um, Daniel has extensively researched and engaged the issue of self-determination, not just for Texas, but as part of a global, a growing global trend. Um, his bio is long. You know, most lion chasers that come on the show always have long bios of many accomplishments. I'm going to take his bio and drop it into the chat room so you have all the information. But let me see my final um, uh, reading of it here, and I'll give you another paragraph. He has been featured on every major news network and been interviewed by every major newspaper in Texas. I bet you have, sir. And around the world, a featured guest on Fox News, CNN, CNBC, BBC News, RT TV and many other news outlets I'd like to welcome to the show Daniel Miller. Hi, Lonnie. Thanks for having me. Hey, I'm that was a great hap- intro, by the way. Oh, okay, <laughs> hey, 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 put the check in the mail. <laughs> um, I, I when I got win and I, let me send a shout out because I know he's listening. A shout out to Josh. Well, thank you, sir, for connecting me with Daniel because I said this. Oh, we, yeah, I want him on the show when I saw this. And, and let me tell you why, Daniel. I have a really good friend of mine um, who uh, resides on the West Coast. He's in the. Uh, um, I, I, I guess I could call them the swamp, too, but, well, I can't. It's my, my home state. Um, he's in California, so you know what he's up against. And, but he's a Texan and um, grew up in uh, the Dallas area. And he's the first one that talked to me about um, Texas seceding from the Union. Well, you know, they technically can. And, and like most of y'all Texans, everything is bigger, greater, better. <laughs> It lasts longer, tastes better if it's from Texas. And I would agree for the most part, especially nowadays, Daniel, since everybody wants to move there, since the rest of the nation can't seem to figure out what it wants to do and be, in particular the state of California, as it goes and becomes the uh, socialist uh, state of California. Talk to our listeners about Texas. Why? Wow. Uh, you know, why is, is always one of those uh, one of those big questions. Uh, you know, if only someone had written a book about that, right? <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, it's, it's interesting because over the almost 22 years uh, that I've been out advocating for this position, uh, you know, with talking to thousands of Texans, it, it seems that almost, you know, I think the only constant is that everyone you talk to has a different reason why they support it. You know, they're coming at it from a, a completely different perspective. Uh, but if I, if I really had to boil it down, uh, I would say this. It's that Texans are sick and tired of living under 180,000 pages of federal laws, rules, and regulations mm-hmm. administered by 440 separate agencies and 2.5 million unelected bureaucrats. Uh, at the end of the day, Texans believe that the best people to govern Texas should be Texans. That's a powerful statement there because you just described the swamp. <laughs> the white. It's so difficult to get anything done. I'm here literally smack dab in the middle of the swamp. 
And many of the departments, HUD, the FBI, and all these other iconic institutions within government, and as I'm sure you know, have been commandeered by those members of the deep state. And so even with the brash New Yorker elected as president of the United States as a change agent, they're having a dickens of time uh, of a time trying to bring about change because just because you have a new regime um, elected folks or new administration and more to the point elected, you got these folks heavily entrenched into government. G-U-B-M-I-N-T is how I spell it. And they've got their arms folded and said, we're just not going to do it. Whatever it is you want to do. Yeah. I learned I learned this about. And, and look, look, Lonnie, as a Texan, you know, I, I love it when legislators can't legislate. Right. I mean, we here, here in Texas, we've got uh, a constitution that gives us a true part time legislature. Right. Mm-hmm. They they govern. They, they basically meet for 140 days every other year. And, and it was done purposely because anyone knows that when legislators are in session, uh, liberty is in danger. Uh, <laughs> true. That's that I think is, is the challenge is that people look at the federal government as embodied in, say, the president of the United States Congress. And they say, well, these guys aren't doing anything. But but the problem is, is that they are doing things. You know, otherwise we wouldn't have had a national debt that grew to the tune of twenty-one trillion dollars, a hundred you know plus trillion dollars worth of unfunded liabilities uh, that have systematically worked to encroach on our liberties and especially uh, those of, of Christian believers. I mean, I, I think a, a very good case could be made that uh, that when the United States Congress meets. The Christian liberty is in danger, but that only, again, deals with one part of the equation, because now you've got an unelected federal judiciary that, with the stroke of a pen, can override the will of voters of any state, and that's not to mention the two and a half million unelected bureaucrats that we never get a say in who they are or, you know, how they're managed or how they're governed. So, you know, it's when you're looking at it from the standpoint uh, of any state, and obviously I wrote this book from a, a Texas perspective so people could access really what's going on right here, but so much of, of the underlying and, and pent-up feelings related to Washington, D.C., carry over to any state. They certainly do. I, I think about what's taking place in um, my home state. Um, I was born and raised in California. Um, I'm no longer there, but um, here in the uh, swamp, which proves that God has a sense of humor <laughs> placing me here. But um, you made reference, and one thing I wanted to point out that kind of it, it connects with what you're stating, Proposition 8 was passed in California. Liberal California passed Proposition 8, which said that marriage should be between a man and a woman. But the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals and the Supreme Court got involved and shot it down, folks. And that's what I think um, uh, Mr. Miller is speaking of, what Daniel's speaking of. So the will of the people well, look, was just ignored. We had the same problem here, uh, you know, where there was actually a literal constitutional amendment that was placed in Article One of the Texas Constitution that defined marriage as between, being between a man and a woman. And, and again, it was struck down. But I think you can even roll it back further than that. And, and you look at the vehement opposition to abortion on demand that we have mm-hmm. here in Texas. But yet right. we live under Roe versus Wade. And as long as we are part of this political and economic union that really knows no bounds, uh, you know, we're going to continue to be subjected to uh, a, a society and a government that celebrates infanticide. So. It is, you know, it is something that we as Texans think about. But the challenge is, 
and it was it was interesting because listening to you list off in the bio all the different places that that have interviewed about this, it's it's like every time something happens about Texas, it's a brand new day for these mm-hmm. media types. Mm-hmm. But yet, while it seems brand spanking new every you know six to ten months for the mainstream media, support for Texas reclaiming the right of self government has steadily grown over the last twenty two years. Uh, when when I first started, almost like I said, almost 22 years ago, uh, support for Texas leaving the union was in, in single digits. Mm-hmm. But what the, the real breakthrough came in 2014 uh, when Reuters came in and polled this issue related to the Scottish referendum. You know, the Scots went to the polls to vote to leave the United Kingdom. Right. And of course, anytime there's something like that going on around the world. The first place these guys come down to is Texas, right? They want to stick microphones <laughs> in our faces and know how we feel about it. And, and so when they did this poll back in 2014, uh, it really blew the doors off of these guys uh, because 54% of Republicans, half of independent voters, and 35% of Democrats said absolutely Texas should leave the union and become an independent nation. So wow. it's a real good sort of cross-section of, of where the movement has gone you know, 20 years passed up until 2014, and, and that support, even with the election of Donald Trump and, and essentially the, the war that he's waging against the deep state, that, that support hasn't waned in the least. That's amazing. So uh, the foolishness taking place um, at the federal level is, in fact, becoming the uh, fuel for the fire to drive um, this movement. And so the stats have increased tremendously. I didn't realize they were that high. Ladies and gentlemen, if you have any questions for Daniel, uh, give us a call at 866-963-2037, 866-963-2037. Again, that number is 866-963-2037. We'll get you queued up to come on air. We're going to be going to break very shortly, but uh, if you call in during the break, you'll wait on hold for about uh, about three minutes or so, and then we'll get you queued up to come on. Um you know, I, I, I'm thinking, and I got to tell you that I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of secession from the union because you know I get fearful about that. We'll talk about that um, after the break, but I can see where maybe Texas can force the issue to write this nation called America, um, because you know right now we've got the, the left on the on the left coast and the right coast. And um, kind of dictating what happens to the rest of you know what they call flyover America. You got basically New York, that eastern seaboard down through Connecticut and and and, and Boston, Mass, and or Massachusetts, and so forth, and then California on the uh, west coast, and I guess what includes Seattle, Washington as well, dictating. But those two primary population centers, and the rest of America's uh, uh-uh. and I'm from California, and, and, and Daniel, most of California is on board with. Our collective worldview, yours and mine, it's just you got the Los Angeles Basin in the Bay Area, you know, kind of like the East Coast and West Coast dictating um, what the rest of the state does. And folks are just fed up and tired of it. Well, and, you know, you hit on one of the systemic problems. Uh, you know, one of the challenges, and I even talk about this in the book, is that because of the history of the United States, there's this tendency to view what what's going on here in Texas, where we're reevaluating our relationship with the union as a secession, and that's not entirely correct. I mean, ah. the, the thought process has evolved 
uh, you know, over the intervening 150 years. Yes, yes. Daniel, let me jump in here. I didn't watch the clock. We got a cue for a break. Hold that thought. This is Lonnie Poindexter. We've got Daniel Miller from Texas on the show. You don't want to miss this next segment. We'll be right back after these brief messages on Urban Family Talk. David, the son of Jesse, just an ordinary giant slayer. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. David's battle with Goliath is an epic drama where the little boy stands in God's power to conquer the Philistine giant. David didn't awaken that morning expecting to slay a giant. He didn't stroll in with an entourage after a rugged mountain range training camp like Rocky and Rocky IV. He was just a regular kid bringing his brother's lunch but fully confident in God's immeasurable power. Though he saw Goliath, David never acknowledged him as a giant, saying, who is this uncircumcised Philistine who dared defy the Lord of hosts? When regular people are fully persuaded, fully confident in God's power, giants fall. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. Hi, I'm Crawford Loritz with a Legacy Moment. I had lunch with a good friend who pastors a large church. We were talking about pitfalls in ministry, things we should guard against. He said to me, you know, Crawford, I've learned that I have to be very careful about what I say in conversation with some of my members. What I say can be twisted and misused. We all need to be careful about what we say and to whom we say it. Psalm 39 verse 1 says, I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth as with a muzzle while the wicked are in my presence. There's some sage advice in this verse. Sage advice part one. Live in such a way that your life tells the truth about your words. He says, I will guard my ways. In other words, I want how I live to back up what I say. So if people take something I say and twist it, You can always point to my pattern of life, and the consistency of my walk will tell the truth about what I say. Sage advice part two, don't sin by what you say. He says, I will guard my mouth as with a muzzle. Don't say too much. Watch the tone. Watch the intention. Sage advice part three, don't say too much around ill-intentioned people. He says, while the wicked are in my presence. Not that we unjustly judge folks. But if you know someone doesn't mean well and they have a track record for gossip, that's like giving the alcoholic the keys to the liquor store. You don't want to go there. Be careful. Well, here's what I want you to remember today. Trust and confidentiality are gifts not to be given hastily. Know to whom you're talking and please be careful what you say. More information about the ministry of Crawford Loritz can be found online at livingalegacy.org. And now, your lion chaser in the good fight of faith, Lonnie Poindexter. Welcome back to Lion Chasers on Urban Family Talk. Welcome back. You're listening to the Lion Chaser Show. I'm your host, Lonnie Poindexter, and I'm your Lion Chaser in the Good Fight of Faith. We're broadcasting live from our nation's capital via Urban Family Talk. I have uh, my special guest for Hour 2 is Daniel Miller, who is author of Texit, 
He's the president of the Texas Nationalist Movement and an outspoken advocate for Texas independence. I posted this information there in the chat room. You'll also see it in my, uh, my social media feed as well, including um, MeWe, because I'm on MeWe now because I'm just getting utterly frustrated with uh, Facebook and their foolishness, Daniel. So I'm trying to leverage my presence online. Uh, folks, you can also catch me in, um, in on Twitter as well. I'm not as proficient with Twitter, and maybe it's my age and demographic, but don't hate. Um, I do post there just not as often. But, uh, Daniel, part of the break, you were um, just kind of giving the backdrop of just what secession means and, and so forth. So uh, how would this all take place or take shape? Well, to, to go back to the to the previous point uh, mm-hmm. before the break, uh, the, 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 I, you know, the thought of the last 150 years has changed, and not just here uh, within the United States, but primarily as part of the international thought about this this whole concept, uh, you know, it's, I think it's important that people understand that, that think that this is somehow kind of new or unique. They, they need to look at history. And at the end of World War II, there were 54 recognized countries around the world, and at the end of the 20th century, there were 192. So mm. this is not something that is, you know, surprising or unique to folks that have paid attention to this. But the, the school of thought here is, is that if you understand with the real construction of the union, you know, if you if you really understand what the founders and the framers' intent was uh, for the United States, then when you look at Texas or any state exploring leaving the union, it's it's not a true secession. It's essentially a withdrawal of membership, uh-huh. and it's very foundation. Uh, the United States was created to to be a essentially a political and economic union. Uh, coupled with a mutual defense pact and, and, a, and a trade and travel agreement. I mean, that's that's really at its foundation what it is. What, what would be taken care of nowadays between independent nation states uh, in, a, in the context of a union would be done by either bilateral or multilateral international agreements. But this was all embodied in a single document. And so even at the founding of the United States, uh, when you go back and, and you read the writings of the founders and the framers in the Federalist Papers, uh, you find out, and they are very explicit in that this union does not create a single monolithic nation-state. Instead, it is a, a, a compact between sovereign, independent, national states that have the character of a nation-state. Right. Uh, even Alexander Hamilton, who was arguably the first and most prominent American nationalist who, who really wanted to see that. He, he essentially saw the states as being corporate subdivisions of the federal government, a very unpopular thing at the time. Uh, but he even acknowledged that the Constitution did not consolidate the states into one single nation-state. So when you look at it in the terms of what the United States is on paper and what it was intended to be, then essentially what we're doing here in Texas, and as it's taking place in other states, is we're reevaluating whether or not membership in this political and economic union best serves our people politically, culturally, and economically, and we're reevaluating based on that criteria. Hmm. Okay, okay. Uh, I'm looking here in the chat room, and here's some um, comments and, and questions here. Um, here's one from... Um, from uh, Brother Al, and Al is actually my guest host on Wednesdays, and um, and so his comment is, 
Uh, let's see. What does the guest? In other words, what does Daniel think about the convention of states of the states? Does that play into it's, this? It's a, I don't know that it plays into it because uh-huh. I think there are a lot of questions uh, related to what the intention of the convention of the states is, and I think there is a uh, a lot of trepidation on the part of, of people who are uh, dubious about opening up the Constitution to the political class. And, uh-huh. and I know that part of it, the selling feature, because we went through this whole Convention of States debate here in Texas, but I know part of the selling feature is that Convention of States advocates essentially say that it will be a closed convention, okay, in the sense that it has a very specific call and it will only deal with those specific issues. Uh, however, uh, that is not entirely the truth. Uh, just because Texas has sent an agenda for its delegates in the Convention of the States does not limit the scope of the Convention of the States. And there is precedent for this. You know, when the convention was called to make adjustments and amendments to the Articles of Confederation, what was born of that was an entirely new document. Right. And, and that document was submitted for ratification to all 13 of the states, and uh, you know, again, one of the one of the strongest points for the the if you want to call it the constitutionality or legality of, of what we're talking about here is the fact that if only nine of the thirteen states had signed on to the United States Constitution, it would have left the four remaining states as members of the uh, of the union that was created under the Articles of Confederation. So th- there should be some fear. I mean, we're talking uh, about taking the political class and opening up the only document that at least on paper binds them uh, to, you know, binds their actions and then allowing them to make changes that, uh, frankly, given the way that some of these other states behave, I don't know that there should be any hope that there would be uh, significant reforms out of it. And if there were, I don't know that they would be friendly to people who think in the way that we think. Gotcha. Gotcha. Here's another comment here. Uh, says, uh, can we sell California back to Mexico? <laughs> so, that's from Pastor Carl, one of our regular listeners out of uh, the great state of North Carolina. <laughs> so even my producers in my ear going, mm-hmm, yeah, no, folks, look, that's my home state. I still love the state. I know they have issues, huge issues. But my belief is that, uh, well, here's, here's the deal, Daniel. Um, Texas has figured it out, and it's not rocket science, as you stated prior, a part-time legislature, and just like the, the rest of the nation used to be, including California, and there is a dearth of individuals from the state of California moving to your state, sir, and I hope, I'm hoping that they're not going to turn it into Colorado or Oregon or Washington State. Um, which is what happened uh, when folks, the mass exodus from California, you know, going back 20 years ago, where now, you know, Colorado is more of what you would call, I guess you could call it a purple state now. Um, do you see that happening with Texas? Well, there is concern, uh, obviously, <laughs> about the resistance from folks from those areas uh, to <laughs> cultural assimilation. You know, we've got to get them down to the hat store and get them a proper pair of boots yes. and teach them how to eat barbecue. Um, <laughs> but I think the thing to bear in mind is, and, and why I don't have probably the fear that maybe I should or that other people have, 
is it's important to know that the vast majority of those people that are fleeing those states, like California and New York and coming to Texas, are doing it not not because they want to come here and make this like where they left. They're leaving it for very defined political and economic reasons. Uh, I can, you know, and, and, and of course this is anecdotal, uh, but I can cite uh, one friend who who moved from California. He was a at one point a policy analyst for the California uh, Assembly for the Republican delegation there. And he left because the school district where his children were going to school were beginning to mandate transgender studies for elementary kids. Yes. And fight it as he might, uh, he he was on the losing end of that battle. And, you know, so he, he came obviously as a political refugee, but also as an economic refugee, as we see yes. some of these others. So people are voting with their feet. They're coming to Texas, but the challenge becomes no matter where you move, which state you move to, you may get some alleviation from those policies. However, we are all still part of a political and economic union that can override the will of the voters by the stroke of some unelected bureaucrat's pen. So, you know, I even say it in the book, and, and as much as I hate to say it, it's the truth, is that no state is invincible from an out-of-control federal bureaucracy, not even Texas. That's so very true, and uh, you know, I see it from this in it's There's something that takes place here. I, 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 a lot of the lawmakers here that I've met, um, good people, good God-fearing people trying to do the right thing, but, man, they have an uphill battle uh, because there's another group that's here that I think maybe come here with grandiose ideas about bringing about change, and then what happens, Daniel, they get assimilated. It's kind of like if you were a Star Trek fan, um, remember the Borg, you get assimilated into the Borg because this um, D.C. produces no product, no gross product like Texas. It's oil, it's cattle, you know, it's whatever it happens to be. Here is bureaucracy, and they get, I think, assimilated into it, and they lose touch. As the best, and I, I'm putting it lightly. I know there's a whole other group that just has an evil agenda, and I talk about them all the time. And they're affectionately known as the establishment here, or as uh, uh, the president has dubbed them, the swamp or the swamp dwellers and creatures here. Um, I, I, I'm thinking, and I got to tell you, before you came on the show, I was one of those, and no, I don't see it. I don't think it's going to be a good thing for America, but maybe this will be the catalyst for change. Um, for people, the rights of the people, because, you know, this is a nation that was founded as a constitutional republic, which means, unlike a democracy where it's mob rule, it's the rights of the individual in America. And as you stated more eloquently than I did, that, uh, um, you know, big government, uh, nanny government, whatever you want to call them, is constantly stripped away our freedoms and I got to tell you, I feel jealous. Um, you mentioned <laughs> New York and California. A good friend of mine, I believe he's listening in, uh, Pastor Donald Sattler, who was a New Yorker. I mean, the accent, he still has the accent, but now he's wearing the boots, brother, and he's got the great big old belt buckle. He's got his Stetson hat, and he went out and bought him a really cool, classy, what I call a Texas Cadillac, a really beautiful pickup truck, a Silverado, something or other. And he's loving life because he found that even as a, a clergy, in um, New York State and New York City specifically, that he was just hamstring to the point where he said he couldn't carry out his mission as a pastor the way he wanted to, and was just utterly frustrated. And it's understandable. Uh, you know, I live down here in southeast Texas, just outside of Houston, and uh, you know, it's it's not uncommon to see 
uh, folks that have come here from wherever, like in the area where I live, was host to, to many of the Vietnamese refugees that fled, uh, you know, the, the fall of Saigon and uh-huh. you know, the takeover by the communists. Uh, my, my, my wife's aunt being one of the first uh, to come here that way. And it's not uncommon to see uh, Vietnamese uh, refugees or descendants of the Vietnamese refugees, you know, walking down the street wearing the boots, the buckle, the cowboy hat, and speaking with a thicker <laughs> accent than I have. You know, it's, it, is, it is one of those places where, and I think it really goes back to our history and our culture. People came in the 1830s into Texas to have a fresh start. You know, they had, you know, something had gone terribly wrong wherever it was they were coming from. Yes. Uh, or they just needed a break. And, and it is a place of, of second chances and fresh starts. Uh, but it's also a place of unlimited opportunity and prosperity. Uh, you know, we still hearken back to the words of Sam Houston when he said that the government that governs best governs least. Yes. So we have a, a stable regulatory structure for business. We value the entrepreneur and the worker. Uh, you know, and it's it's one of the things that has created uh, this this prosperity and this freedom for us down here. And of course, as we continue to interact with the federal government and continue to be under their thumb, you know, we we see those eroded. So no matter what we decide here, what policies we decide, we always have the sword of Damocles hanging over our head that says that at any moment a whole cluster of bureaucrats in Washington, D.C. that we didn't get to elect, that we had no say in, and even you know the United States Congress and the rest of the elected class, they can make a decision that negatively impacts our opportunities and our chance at prosperity here. And frankly, Texans are sick and tired of it. Yes, yes, and, and, and we can take our cues from uh, Texas. You know, Texans remind me of, um, I don't know if you ever spent any time in New Hampshire, um, but I used to uh, do a lot of work up there when I worked in the tech industry years ago. And what I learned about New Hampshireans is they reminded me of Texas in that if you look at the state of New Hampshire and if you look at their license plate, the slogan on their license plates, it says live free or die. They just cut right to the chase. <laughs> There's no we live free because we stand upon these. No, live free or die. And the first time I saw it, I chuckled. But then I begin to understand it's a way of being, a way of thinking, and I think that probably closely emanates uh, what people from Texas believe. It is a op- land of opportunity there. I remember when California used to be that way. I mean, I've been around long enough. I remember the old California, and the old California was be- very much like what Texas is today. Well, there is a – and that's the thing. If you go back in and – and it hasn't been that long ago, each of the states – uh, even even after the drive came about to, to try to bring this together and, and convince everyone that it was one single solitary monolithic nation state, uh, that that those individual differences and that individual character still remain. Yeah. And as we have progressed, we have seen more and more one size all federal policies that are really attempts to homogenize all the states. Uh, I had a I have a good friend who's a professor uh, at one of the universities up in Vancouver Island, up in Canada, and we we have these spirited discussions frequently about the differences between the states of the United States and the provinces up there. And I can remember his declaration at one point where he said, "Hey, it sounds like you know, even though we're just called provinces, it sounds like we're a whole lot more self governing than you guys." Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's Canada, a, he's got an absolute point. Oh, man, Canada? Oh, my goodness. We're, we're in bad shape. <laughs> we're in bad shape, yes. Oh, my goodness. Well, I'm looking at the clock. Or we're coming up on a break here. Um, 
After the break, I want to talk to you about, well, I'll hold that thought because here's some music's queuing up. Ladies and gentlemen, I've got Daniel Miller on the show today. I'm having a wonderful time, and he's from the great state of Texas, and he's talking about, well, just the state of Texas and the wonderful things going on there in his book, um, which is Texas. When we come back, we'll get into the book and some other questions I want to ask, and we'll be right back after these brief messages on Urban Family Talk. Here's Dan Celia with today's Stewardship Moment. I've heard many people insist that Jesus did not, in so many words, command or insist that we tithe. And as Christians, we're not really under any obligation to do so. I challenge you to remember this, that when Jesus dealt with the law, in no situation did he ever lower the Old Testament standard but always raised it. Take a look in Matthew 5, 27 and 28. Do we think that he would do less with the law of tithe? In light of that alone, can we as Christians dare do less? You've just heard a stewardship moment with Dan Celia of Financial Issues Ministry, helping you plan, give, and invest wisely. For more information, log on to financialissues.org. That's financialissues.org. Listen to Stacy on the Right with Stacy Washington on Urban Family Talk. She's sharp. I mean, did you hear that? Pointed. Remember that you're not only a Christian on Sunday. And insightful. Deception and lies have been accepted as the norm from the Democrats. But most of all, she's on the right. That scripture from the Bible that says the heart of the fool inclines to the left just kept popping into my mind. Stacy on the Right. Now heard weekday afternoons from 2 to 4 Central on Urban Family Talk. Abraham Hamilton III. God put us in this world at this time to be salt and light. We don't fold because of the darkness that we're facing. This is not the first time in the world's history that it's gotten dark. God has called you and I to be his ambassadors, even in this dark moment. Tune in to the Hamilton Quarter, weekdays at 5 p.m. Central on Urban Family Talk. I'm not so certain we have as much time as many of us think. It's high time for the body of Christ to return with a fire lit up under us to proclaim the truth of God's word, to proclaim the truth of sin and repentance and not coming from a high lofty position, but telling the truth as such were some of us. We have to do that. We have to. But what happens is, and I I call this first world problems, uh, we have this epidemic of churchianity in America to where we are far more accepting and far more willing to embrace the trappings of church life, even if they're void of the presence and power and fire of Christ. And I would say to you, just as the Bible says, that we can have a form of godliness while simultaneously at the exact same time deny the very power of the gospel, of the gospel. Tune in to the Hamilton Quarter, weekday afternoons at 5 Central on Urban Family Talk. Back to Lion Chasers, where faith and public policy intersect with Lottie Poindexter on Urban Family Talk. Welcome back. You're listening to the Lion Chasers show. I'm your host, Lonnie Poindexter, and I'm your Lion Chaser in the Good Fight of Faith. 
We're broadcasting live from our nation's capital via Urban Family Talk. I have on the show with me today Daniel Miller, and I'm having a wonderful time. Daniel, i got to let you know I'm enjoying this conversation. It's got my brain really clicking in the listeners there in the chat room as well um, concerning this topic. And um, who would have thought it could, it could be Texas that could be the state that helps to write this ship called America? Because one thing I have come to learn from here, it, 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 living in the swamp, is that something's got to force the issue. Something's got to be someone or something has to be the catalyst to bring about. And maybe this movement will be the catalyst. But let me ask you this. There are those that would say that secession overall would weaken the United States of America and overall it's not a good thing. In other words, we can end up like the Balkan states, you know, in the former Soviet Union and become balkanized. What do you say to that that particular viewpoint? Yes, it's interesting uh, because we've heard that before. You know, there's this concern that if one state pulls out, every state will pull out and, you know, suddenly we'll all be, you know, Texas will be at war with Oklahoma over the Red River. I mean, something ridiculous. <laughs> like that. Look, th- this is this has not been the experience uh, over the last seventy years. I mean, you when people talk about balkanization uh, in relation to the Soviet Union, they're, they got they got the history wrong. Uh, and what you've got is you've got two issues. Number one, the Soviet Union collapsed under political, economic, and social pressure, and, right. and there are a lot of underlying reasons for that, but. The, those constituent republics reclaimed the right of self-government because the central government in Moscow could not continue to centrally manage that much of a, of a diverse population, right? right. The, the different constituent republics wanted to govern themselves. And so under all of those pressures, both internal and external, the Soviet Union dissolved, and those countries – peacefully began the right to exercise the right of self-government, and, and that's where we are today. Okay? Mm-hmm. So that's not where the balkanization comes from. You know, the, the issue of balkanization came with Yugoslavia, uh, which was essentially a manufactured country. I mean, you had these various and sundry uh, different constituent portions of Yugoslavia, mm-hmm. and forcing them together for so long under the heavy hand of Tito, once Tito was gone and the and the communist regime began to weaken outside of the Soviet umbrella, what you saw was each of those areas wanting to reclaim their right of self-government. And and the fact that the government continued to try to force those people into that single monolithic, you know, created nation-state that was Yugoslavia is what caused the violence. Uh, You look at the issue of, of Sudan. You know, Sudan was one country, and you had... Uh, you had in northern Sudan, you had the Muslim majority. In southern Sudan, you had a Christian majority. And, and those folks in Sudan were killing each other in a civil war for over 30 years. Right. What stopped the killing and instituted peace was, was essentially the agreement that said, look, uh, you guys govern yourselves the way that you want to. We'll govern the cells the, our, ourselves the way that we want to, and we'll part as friends, and we'll stop the killing. And so in that, the recognition of the right of self-government was the path to peace. Gotcha. So this notion somehow that we're all going to be killing each other in each other's throats if states begin to leave, it's just not true. What about as it relates to um, our ability to defend ourselves against foreign invaders, let's say Soviet Union or North Korea or any of those other nations that well, are you know, not our friends? A good example of this is, and I cover this in the book, because you know this idea that 
that suddenly Texas is going to have to spend you know trillions of dollars on on uh, national defense is just not true. Look, here's here's how to, to look at it. Right now, the United States is part of a mutual defense pact called NATO. Right. Okay? So France, France is in it, Germany's in it, all the Western European nations plus some are in it. But no one makes the assertion that those countries must be in a political and economic union to agree to defend one another. Uh-huh. So, you know, this, there is this, this leap out there that says, well, Texas or any state can't leave because suddenly we'll be at the mercy of North Korea or something like that. Well, that's just not the way the world works, and it hasn't worked like that since World War II. Right. Right. Makes perfect sense. So I'm looking at the clock. And, folks, if you want to call in, now's the time to do it. Don't let time slip away from you. Or maybe you're doing like me, taking copious notes. <laughs> okay. That number is 866-963-2037, 866-963-2037. Again, that number is 866-963-2037. Give us a call. Uh, talk to us about the book, Texan. I love the title. I got it immediately <laughs> as, soon as, as soon as Joshua told me the title of your book. And I know this is not the first book that you've written, but this one certainly got my attention. Texan, Why and How Texas Will Leave the Union uh, by Daniel Miller. Yeah, you know, it, it's one of those things. It's been seven years since I wrote my first book. <clears throat> and, and the first book was a lot more about the philosophy behind this, sort of the mindset that's driving this. Um, but Texas came about primarily because, uh, I mean, I, I hate to admit it, but I, I'm kind of lazy. I hate to answer the same questions over and over. <laughs> uh, you know, so at the end of the day, it was necessary, I think, for me to, to really commit this case to paper. You know, part of the challenge that we have had with advancing this issue is that it has been, as a political discussion, been reduced to the ridiculous, right? So the federal government does something. Everybody goes out, puts the seed stickers on the back of their trucks, and drives around. There's some interviews, and then the opposition comes out and says, you can't do that. You know, you can't leave the union. And that literally has been the end of it. It's been this ridiculous cycle. So, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, in in the wake of the the Scottish referendum in 2014, the Brexit referendum, the skepticism movement, uh, it was really time to, to put the facts, commit them into one single work, uh, and I had to really pare it down because I wanted to make it accessible and, and really just kind of throw the arguments out there to not only say that, look, Texas would be better off as an independent nation, uh, but it, is, it, it could do it, and it should do it, and it's happening right now. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. It makes, per- makes perfect sense. Um, how can our listeners go about getting a copy of not only this it book is- but any of your books? Uh, well, Texas is available at every major book retailer. The hardcovers dropped uh, this last week, so Amazon, Barnes and Noble, uh, any major book retailer has it. And I have to, Lonnie, I just have to confess that uh, when I wrote it, I, I put it out there and I said, "Okay, look, here, here's the book. Right, whatever happens, happens. Hopefully, people will pick it up. Hopefully, people in Texas will get inspired by it uh, to to begin to have these conversations. Hopefully, people outside of Texas." Uh, we'll begin to look at it and understand our experiences and begin to have these conversations about their state. And, and I have been absolutely floored uh, by the response that the book has received so far. I, I am just I am completely blown away. It's been such a blessing. That's fantastic. And, and I think because of the times that we're in, um, as I'm sure you know, our nation is in crisis. And 
in crisis, you know, the remnant stands up. If we if we use scripture, you know, and, and begins to, to speak truth and, and, and push back. Um, and I was just sitting here thinking aloud about Texas and what it's. I remember, I think I just got into D.C. It was around 2011, 2012, I think is the stat. And we're in the middle of this. They call it a recession. <laughs> I don't know what you call it. <laughs> I guess so people wouldn't panic, but common sense folks know what we were really in. And here is Texas, and you could probably give me the exact year. I remember the statistics stated that Texas, ladies and gentlemen, the state of Texas created more jobs than the entire nation combined. Do you remember that? I, I do. And, and that was, you know, shortly after, uh, shortly after the recession, uh, you know, things were beginning to, to get back on. You know, Obama was implementing allegedly some policies uh, that were supposed to be working. But in, sure. in that year and, and in a lot of different years, you know, Texas has been a net job creator. Uh, and, and the fact of the matter is, is that if you, across any subjective measure, right, if when, you, when you're looking at how nation states are typically ranked globally, uh, Texas always ranks the highest, or you're not the highest, but it, among the highest, you know, whether it be uh, our GDP ranking anywhere from uh, number eight to number 10, depending on the quarter, uh, to, you know, becoming one of the one of the major hubs for exports. Texas is an ex, ex, uh, a net exporter. Uh, we produce more and manufacture more technology than Silicon Valley now. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's not, it's no longer just a Cattle and oil. I mean, we are a, a highly diversified in uh, economy and have been really since the, the oil crash in the eighties. We consciously yes. made that determination to do so. So, you know, across every measure, Texas could could stack up against other nations. But I think, Lonnie, this is an important part. Texas does not enjoy a unique right to leave the union. It, it, it is a door open to any state, and. People have this notion that their state may be not, you know, may not be as well off as Texas. However, when you take virtually any state within the United States and begin to rank them against countries around the world, what you find out is that these states are not made. They may not be self-sufficient, but no, no nation state is. Right. right? But they are more than viable. Uh, as far as independent nation-states. And I think the case can easily be made, and I'll make it in the book, that in the absence of the federal government, if any state were to look at reclaiming the right of self-government, they would be politically, economically, and culturally better off. Yes, and um, you would think that we already had that because of states' rights. But as I'm sure you know, those rights have been eroded over uh, over years, and we are in the... Uh, the mess that we are in today. I'm looking here at the clock. Let me throw the mic right back to you. Please share with our listeners how they can reach out and contact you, website, that kind of information. Sure, absolutely. Uh, obviously, I can be contacted through our organization's website at texasnationalist.com. Uh, and then, of course, look for uh, the calendar and look for the book tours. I'll be out all over uh, doing book signings over the next few months. Fantastic. And I would love to get you back on the show because I think about four or five other things I want to ask you about relative to this topic. But, you know, time is that uh, reality that we have to live within. I want to thank you so much for coming on the show, Daniel. I'm going to let you go now. Ladies and gentlemen, that's uh, Daniel Miller and um, just had a great time. First time guest on the show will not be (laughs) a one time guest on the show. That's for sure.